Good morning, everyone. Pastor Greg here, and as you can see, with my wife, Beth. And we just thought on Father's Day, June 21st, that we would mix it up a little bit and talk about Father's Day. And we've asked you to submit some questions for the two of us uh, to entertain, and we're looking forward to doing that. And the second reason that I've invited Beth is so that you don't have to look at my face all the time and that you can enjoy her face and so you're all welcome and we're here and we're glad to be here and we trust you're doing okay and we're praying for you we know that you're praying for us we're in this together and we're gonna pop through the other side and God is good all the time so be encouraged well, uh, I thought we would begin this uh, session today by uh, rehearsing some things that I learned from my dad. In fact, we're calling it 10 Things I Learned From My Dad. And most of you know that my dad passed away uh, about a year and a half ago. He died suddenly at the age of 88. And I've been reminiscing about him, as you can imagine, over these months. And my mother's still living and just spoke with her yesterday. and was rehearsing some of these things with her, which she enjoyed and added value to. So let's just uh, jump into this. Beth and I will kind of go back and forth a little bit uh, during the session. So I hope this is meaningful to you. And, and as I say, this is 10 things I learned from my dad. The first one I would mention is that community matters. My dad was in a small town and owned a, a grocery store in a small town my hometown only had about a thousand people in it and so everybody knew everybody else and my dad was always involved in his community and he knew that was a value and it was important so it was uh, initiatives through the rotary club or coaching little league baseball or whatever it happened to be he he really invested in his community and that was a role model for me as we've been in muncie all these years number two Loyalty matters. Loyalty matters. Now again, in a small town and being in a small business, uh, all of you who own small businesses understand loyalty, and, and especially as it relates to local loyalty. Uh, you just want to make it go, go around. And, and so investing in one another in the community and being loyal to your friends, loyal to your, your fellow uh, retailers and and other family members and church members. This was a high value for my dad and it's a high value for me. We talk about this all the time, don't we, about yes, loyalty do. as being a very important value. And it's, uh, it's one of my highest values in life. And I know I get that from my dad. Number three, be bold in your faith. My dad came to faith at uh, about age 40. Uh, he celebrated, it was interesting, he celebrated the year of his birthday when he had been a Christian longer in his life than he had not been a Christian. And my dad was very bold in his faith. Uh, he joined the Gideons International, which as you may know is an organization of business persons who distribute Bibles around the world. If you've been in a hotel room in your life, you've seen a Gideon Bible there. They also pass out new, pocket New Testaments to fifth graders and university students. My dad was in many elementary schools in his day, passing out Bibles. Uh, he would just randomly go over to Purdue University, which is where he lived by, and he would stand at an, an important cross, cross uh, walk there on campus 
with arms full of New Testaments, passing them out to students. Uh, I personally cleaned out, Beth and I were, uh, because of Beth's real estate background, we were primarily involved in preparing my parents' home for sale after my dad passed. And uh, she was working in the house while I was cleaning out the garage. So I cleaned out my dad's garage. The biggest pile of stuff in my dad's garage were hundreds and hundreds of, of pocket New Testaments that he had stored there just ready to go <laughs> because he was so excited about passing out God's word. So be bold in your faith. I learned that from my dad. Number four, the value of hard work. Value of hard work. Now I mentioned my dad owned a small town grocery store. Now that was six days a week, 10 or 12 hours a day. Those of you who are in the food industry of any sort know, or the grocery business know that this is long hours and, and labor intensive. And so my dad spent most of his life working hard. We both got that from our dads, didn't we? Yes. Your dad uh, hard. was an incredibly hard worker, mm -hmm. and Beth and I, neither one, shy away from hard work. And we got that from our parents. Number five, the value of sacrifice. Um, when I was growing up, uh, it was a modest, you know, we, you would describe it as a, a middle, lower middle, blue collar home. And when I look back on it now, it was very modest, very modest. But I had no idea <laughs> that I was living some modest life. We always had everything we needed. We always had enough. And it always felt full as a result of that. And also as I reflect back on it, one of the reasons why it always felt full for me and my siblings, my mother, is because my dad was so sacrificial. I don't ever remember him coming home with any kind of personal item that he had purchased. You know, I saved up and I bought this. I always wanted one of these, and so I got one. And I interpret that as sacrificial. Sacrificial. Your dad was the same way. Same way. Beth's mother died when Beth was nine years old, and so for a, almost a decade, Beth's dad was a single parent. And living sacrificial is, is an understatement in that kind of context. So. The value of sacrifice. Here's number six. Be gracious with people. Be gracious with people. I learned watching my dad interact with people in his store how to be gracious. Because not everyone earned the right to receive grace. You know, there's some characters out there. And I would watch him manage people when they came into his store sometimes acting very unreasonably and probably just ventilating pain that they had in other areas of their lives and coming in to take it out on whoever was available. But I, I saw my dad model what it looks like to be gracious. And I'm not always very good at that, but when I find myself being gracious, it reminds me of my dad. So be gracious with people. I don't know where you learn grace, but you, you have 
just an affinity for special grace with people. So probably why she's stuck with me for <laughs> 42 years. <laughs> yeah, so thank you for that. Yeah, be gracious with people. Here's number seven. Be an encourager. Be an encourager. Um, everybody needs to be encouraged. Well, who knew? And my dad, my dad um, was an encourager, but, but not overtly. Maybe you understand that. Um, he, he was more subtle. But when he did encourage, it was, it was very effective. You felt it. Uh, and just, just a word, just a sentence, uh, good job, um, good game, nice work. Not a lot of words, but enough to make you swell. And this is something that, that we've tried to do and be as parents and tried to do and be in ministry. One of our values here at Union Chapel is that, is that excellence honors God and inspires people. And so when we encourage people to do their very best and be their very best, it helps them to honor God and inspire one another. It's, a, it's an atmosphere of grace that we want to try to establish. I think we do that pretty well here at Union Chapel. I, I, uh, I don't expect perfection from anyone, just uh, the effort to do excellent things. But the atmosphere of grace gives us permission to fail. And there should be permission to fail in all categories of life. And if we have people around us who are gracious, it'll give us permission to do our very best, even if we don't always accomplish that. So be gracious with people, be an encourager. Number eight, pick and stick with the right woman. <laughs> now, that's a loaded statement, I know. Pick and stick. Um, I have, uh, as a model, my parents in marriage, they were married for 62 years, and that's quite an accomplishment in today's world, of course. And they, uh, they made it. They stuck it out. I, I have another friend who's a mentor of mine. He, he and his wife are both in their 90s right now. So they've been married over 70 years. And I asked him many years ago, I said, what's the key to a long marriage? And he looked at me and he smiled and he just said very simply, he said, don't get divorced. Just don't get divorced and you'll be married a long time. <laughs> and I thought, there you go. Well, there's, there's a starting point. <laughs> there's, there's value number one. Divorce is not an option. And what will happen is you'll see yourself being married for a long time. Beth and I have been married for 42 years and it'll be 43 this summer. And time goes fast, doesn't it? Very fast. Really fast. Um, here's number nine. The value of a sense of humor. My dad loved to laugh. He loved to tell a joke. He, his jokes were usually corny. corny as they could be. Just, you know, he grew up in Kentucky. And, he, you know, he's, he was a, just a good old southern boy. And so his jokes were just goofy. My mother would laugh hysterically at his jokes. I think this encouraged him. Uh, when we were together as a family, he would crack a joke 
Now here's something I've learned about telling jokes. It's okay to laugh at your own joke. But if you're the only one in a crowd that's laughing at your own joke, it could be an indication that the joke wasn't really that good. And so, uh, just a point of reference. But my dad loved to laugh. He loved to tell a joke. He's telling a joke right now, somewhere. I, because he just, he would buy books with yes. jokes in them. Uh, most of them uh, with some kind of Southern humor in the title. And uh, you know, Jeff Foxworthy was one of his favorites. You might be a redneck if, that, yeah, that was it. So the value of a sense of humor. Number 10. Family is everything. Family is everything. My dad loved his family. Uh, he came fully alive when we were all together, constantly bragging so proud. on everybody, so proud of everyone. I mean, if, if one of our boys, you know, did any kind of accomplishment at, in any category, he would just go crazy. That's amazing. His favorite word was awesome. That's awesome. You're awesome. That's um, that, that, that is so great. You're amazing. That's, you're awesome. And he just continued to pile it on. He was so, so pleased, so proud. Let me just give you one more bonus um, thing I learned from my dad, and that is to place your ultimate hope in Christ. Place your ultimate hope in Christ. The last time we were together as a family before Dad passed was at Christmas. This was 2017. Dad passed in January, just a few weeks later of 2018. And as we gathered each holiday, he would circle the family and he would offer prayer. And so he was praying that day, that Christmas, just days before his own passing. And he was praying boldly and gratefully and uh, thanking God for eternal life found in Jesus Christ. He then began to muse a bit about his own demise. It was really interesting. And he almost stopped praying and started talking to people he knew in heaven. And he concluded his prayer by saying, and we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon. Now, I don't know if he had a premonition about his own passing or if that was just in his heart and God was preparing his heart for that. I remember he said amen to that prayer after he said, and we'll see you soon. I, I looked at him and said, well, hey, listen, just, just speak for yourself. <laughs> you may be in a hurry. I'm not as in a big hurry. And we kind of laughed about that. But dad had placed his hope in Christ. I mentioned in a sermon just recently that when I heard about his passing, my first reaction was sadness, of course, for our loss. And within moments, my next reaction was thanksgiving and happiness for him. Good for him, I heard myself say. And good for him indeed, because he placed his ultimate hope in Christ. Isn't that a great thing? Hope, hope's not just a piece of the pie, friends. Hope is the pie when it comes to death. We have a hope that does not disappoint. We have a hope that never fades. We have an eternal hope. 
when we place our faith in him. Amen. Well, those are things I learned from my dad. I hope that's encouraging to you. Maybe you can pick up on some of those virtues and values and make a difference in your own parenting as a father. And as I said, we've been cultivating questions from the congregation in the last couple of weeks. And I've asked Beth to sort those a bit and pick out a handful of questions that we'd like to answer and maybe it'll be helpful to you. So go ahead, honey. Well, the first question is, did both of you have peace when you were getting married? You wanna answer or do you want me to answer? Go ahead. Well, I said, yes, I believe both of us felt peace. Uh, we dated for a pretty long time and dated in high school and college. And I remember uh, telling Greg that I was only gonna do this one time and that um, it doesn't really matter whether you like me or not when we get older, you're stuck with me. <laughs> and, and maybe that seems rude or arrogant, but that's just how I felt. And um, I, was, I was very much at peace when we got married. And I've always felt like I have been the blessed one to be married to Greg and hopefully he feels the same way about me, um, hopefully. Oh, well, that's easy. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. 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 yeah I, uh, but peace about getting married. Uh, I've told this story a few times. Um, the morning that I had determined to propose marriage to Beth, I was getting ready. I was at the university, and she was at Miami of Ohio in another state, but we were going to travel and be together for the weekend and I was going to propose that evening you know all the plans you know the dinner the whole thing I had the ring ready and and I was getting ready for class that morning and I thought I heard God say something to me I said I, I heard God say I know you're going to propose marriage tonight and I want you to ask Beth a certain question what's that I want you to say to her, unless you are absolutely sure about marrying me, you shouldn't do it because life's not going to be easy. Being married to you. Being married to me is not going to be easy. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, hey, what did I do? You know, what's wrong with me? <laughs> and I said, well, okay. So fast forward, I'm on one knee that evening, I, I'm proposing. And Beth burst into tears. And I thought, I've blown it. Uh, she doesn't want to marry me. This is embarrassing. If, if it's possible for someone to mess something like this up, I've done it. And she finally composed herself. And what she told me was that morning when she was walking to class, God spoke to her and said almost verbatim to her the same thing God had said to me, which I had just repeated to her. And so she heard the same words again that the Lord had spoken to her that morning, and it moved her. Uh, but it was sobering as well, because we had to lean into this marriage with some sense. We were both Christians at the time. We, we knew we were going into ministry. We knew that there was going to be challenging days ahead because of that. And all of that worked together to bring us to the altar and to say those vows to one another before God and our family. And as Beth said, look, you're stuck with me and I feel the same way. And 
I'm pretty happy about it. Well, the Lord also gave me a verse then, and it was Philippians 4.13. And the reason why I think he gave it to me is because he knew that I could do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me, and that I could make it through this marriage, through ministry, through whatever he called me to do. So that's one of the reasons why he gave me that verse, I think. Here's our second question. How important is communication? Well, I think it's extremely important. Uh, scripture tells us not to let the sun go down on our anger. And um, I think Greg and I have kind of made it a habit that uh, I don't know if, if you guys ever get into tiffs, but um, we do occasionally. And we try really hard to make sure that everything is settled before we go to bed at night or sleep at night. And it just kind of clears the air and um, I'm not saying that you have to be a, a yes person as, as the wife or as the husband. You don't have to say yes to everything, but you, you can have an opinion, but you need to have uh, a united front, um, especially with your children and just working things out. And that's how we have gone through life together is being united, regardless if we disagree we come to an agreement that this is how we're going to face into it. So, Beth and I never ever make a major decision about parenting or career or major purchases. You know, think about big choices in your life. We never make big decisions unless we're in agreement, unless there's consensus. We agree. And as Beth said, it doesn't mean that, that we're always in agreement about everything all the time. Uh, and sometimes uh, what we might fuss with each other about is a disagreement that by, by the end of the day, we still haven't sorted the issue out, but we reassure each other of our love for each other and it's gonna be okay and this isn't really a big deal in the big picture. And so it'll be fine. And that just leaves us at peace and we can you know, pick up the disagreement the next day and sort it that way. But when it comes to big moments, big crossroads decisions about family, about life, this is something that we have agreement with, uh, without exception, without exception. And I think this is what God asked of us. I, I think it's important too for your children to see you maybe have a disagreement so that they know that just because mom and dad have a disagreement doesn't mean that they don't love each other or that they're not going to work it out. And, and sometimes parents hide disagreements or being disgruntled with one another from their children. And I don't think that that's healthy because then your children don't see that you can disagree with someone and still love them and, and work through it and have a process. And so I think that's, that's beneficial to children in the family, so. Yeah, it models, it models for kids the whole spectrum of life, real life. And obviously if, if you're, uh, um, going to pick up a, a what do you call those things that you rolling pin. a rolling pin. <laughs> pick up a rolling pin and chase your husband around the room with it that's probably not the best model uh i've never been chased around no. that's why i couldn't think of the rolling pin <laughs> name good but your children should see the whole gamut of your relationship uh how to how to fight fairly how to resolve conflict how to make decisions, um, 
Another thing that Beth and I did when the boys were growing up is that we were not hesitant to show our affection to one another in front of the boys. And hugs and kisses and yeah, the I'm I'm flashing back now to earlier days of our marriage when I would chase her around the house. <laughs> and the boys would giggle and they would laugh. They thought it was a great show and Beth would scream, "Leave me alone," you know, and I would chase her through the house around the table and back through the living room, back around the table until I caught her. And then I would I would grab her and if we were if we were at the dining room table, I'd just bend her over the table and just kiss her and make her giggle. The boys just thought it was delightful. And again, it just models for them what it looks like and how you do it. So, yeah, communication is important. That's right. Yeah. Okay, number three. Did you ever want to quit? Now, I, I think the question was in regards either to marriage or maybe ministry, but I went in the marriage vein. I said, um, I have an example. Uh, Greg and I had been married about seven years and I was busy raising the kids and uh, doing domestic chores and he was busy growing the church and um, I was struggling. And I remember telling Greg that um, I felt like a snowball that was going down a hill. And as I was going down the hill, I was picking up snow and the snowball was getting larger and larger. And I knew that I was gonna run into something and then I was gonna explode and fall all apart. And I think I shocked him when I, when I said that. And, and part of our, our marriage, I had a tendency to, when I was disappointed or wounded, I would wanna run away because I was scared. And, but I told Greg that story and, and I think it, it helped me and it helped him. And um, I said to Greg, you need to listen to me because I'm, I'm really struggling. And he started helping more with chores um, and the kids. He, he made sure that he was home in the evenings because it's, it's hard to be all day long with your kids and then all evening long with your kids and have no other adult interaction. And so he made sure that he was home in the evening and um, you know we made it through that little rough patch that I was struggling with. And I don't think anybody knew about it except just he and I, but um, I didn't feel like I was alone anymore. And I think it's very important to not quit that you share what you need. Your, your, your spouse is not a mind reader. And so you need to be able to articulate what it is that you need in the marriage so that you both can be successful. Um, I must say that that was a long time ago and I have never felt that way again since and it's back to communication. So, mm -hmm. yeah, no quitting. So you, you have to be honest with one another and I, the statement Beth just made about your spouse isn't a mind reader. This is especially important for women to hear about your husbands. This is generally true. It's not always true, but it's generally true that men are not aware of what you're feeling much of the time. This is not always true. 
There's some men very highly sensitive and picking up on the nuances of the clues, <laughs> the clues of what you're feeling. But most men don't. I don't. And so it's enormously helpful for when Beth just says, hey, I need a hug or I need some reassurance or I just need to talk about this. And and, you know, I'm a pretty good dog. And so if you just tell me what you need, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> but I don't always perceive it and, and pick up on it all by myself. I'm a little dull that way, and I'm afraid other men are as well. So this is just a helpful tip uh, to enhance communication. And that's also uh, reminds me of the love languages, you know, uh, with Gary Smalley and these five love languages. You should know your spouse's love languages. You should know what they're, they primar primarily are. Now, Beth just rehearsed a, a season of, in life when it was actually helpful for me to, to, provide, to, to uh, do acts of service for her, helping out around the house. But her primary love languages is non-sexual touch and words of affirmation. So I know that. And so that's my go-to. When in doubt, I just go to one of those two. And that reassures her. And so if you don't know your wife's love languages or your husband's love languages, you've got to learn those before the end of the day. Get that down. And that becomes your default. And it just changes everything when you communicate I love you in, in practical, meaningful ways to your spouse. And that's all the ultimate communication, saying I love you in meaningful ways. Yeah, good okay. for you. What's no, next? Okay, number four, how important is it to love, honor, respect, support, and encourage your spouse? Well, I believe it's one of the most important things um, that you can do in a marriage to encourage your spouse. Uh, there's always going to be people that will tear down your spouse, tell them they're not good enough, not smart enough, you don't make enough money, um, they're not handsome, they're not pretty, whatever. So it's, it's your job, I think, to uh, be that person that will always be there to support your spouse and to encourage them and love them. I read a book um, several years ago um, called Love and Respect. It's by Emerson Egridge. I think that's how you say his last name. Um, I wish somebody had given me this book uh, when we were first married. I think I didn't read it till we'd been married like 25 years, so a little slow. But um, what it talks about is men wanting respect and women wanting love. And I realized that there were times in my life that maybe I wasn't respectful to Greg. And um, I didn't, didn't mean to be disrespectful, but in my mind as I read this book, I, I had been. And so I think I wrote him a letter and told him I was sorry if I had ever been disrespectful to him in any way, shape, or form, and that my goal was not to be disrespectful to him ever again and uh, to support him and to honor him in all ways. Um, that, that goes with you know making fun of your husband or being talking behind his back or you know, making fun of him. And that, I think that's totally disrespectful. And in, re, in return, men will give love if they get respect. And if, so women, if you want love, respect your husbands, honor your husband in the marketplace, 
honor him when you're around other women. Don't belittle your husband or say things that aren't kind or, or uh, pleasant about him. So um, I highly recommend this book. If, if you don't have it, come to me and I'll try to help you find it. Um, I, I also want to say that the enemy comes in. John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes to kill and to destroy. And that's also in marriages. So he will try to destroy your husband, make him not feel good about himself. And then in turn, if he doesn't feel good about himself, he's not going to love you properly. So I, I encourage you to love, honor, support, and respect your husband. And then it works both ways. Uh, then, um, then love becomes much more free, much more easy, uh, much more sincere. And of course it works both ways. And again, finding your, your wife's love languages and being attentive to the needs that she has for love and affirmation security, recognition. These are very important things. And so step by step, piece by piece, uh, you build a marriage, you build a relationship, you build a life. Good, you're doing good. Thanks. Yeah. Number well, five. We have six, six, six questions. questions. Be patient, we're almost well, there. Well, really, it's, I guess it's seven. Oh. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Any challenges as children leave home uh, marry and then have children of their own. Um, my answer to that is I stayed home for 15 years so when my my boys or our boys left the house um, I think I was ready for them to leave the house. Now it didn't mean that I wasn't a little sad but um, I got a job and I was helping pay for them to go to college and I had other things that I wanted to do because I felt like I had kind of put my life on hold for several years, but it helped me to focus on other things other than my children all the time. I think that when moms have a tendency to uh, focus every little minute detail on their kids, and then when their kids are gone, they don't have anything to do or they don't have anything in common with their husband um, because they're out of the house, the kids are gone, and now you have nothing to talk to your husband about. Greg and I have always worked hard on trying to do things together, uh, play together, enjoy things together, um, communicating. We just, we do a lot of things together. Walks, canoe rides, we're just, we're, we're active that way. So um, I, don't, I don't think that it will be difficult as your kids grow and move out of the house if you find other things and focus on taking care of other things and other people. And That's really good. And, um, and you've heard me chirp about this many times. Uh, your roles change as your children age. And when they're little, you're coaching them. I mean, they need to know how to hold their fork. And, <laughs> and when to talk and when not to talk. I mean, chew you have to, with your lips together. Yeah, you chew your food with your mouth closed. So you got to coach them every day about everything because they they're they're that's new. Your, they don't know what job. they're doing. That's, that's your job. <laughs> you go from coaching then to counseling, 
as your kids hit adolescence, and now the counseling phase is about managing hormones, managing relationships, managing these life changes. They're, they're intense, they're serious. Lines of communication are critically important when your kids hit adolescence. Parents, this is a, this is a generational complaint that when children reach adolescence, they stop talking to their parents. You know, it's like, like their parents don't exist. You, you lose respect for your parents. You think they're outdated and they don't know what's going on. And, and all the more reason to stay in close communication with your kids and you have to keep counseling them. Then when your kids actually leave the nest, you become a consultant. So here are those three C words. You go coaching, counselor, consultant. Consultants professionally are people that you hire or you call into your circumstance to help you understand and get perspective on what's going on. And so that has to be your role as a parent when your children have left the nest. You're a consultant, which means that, that you have to be invited into their world, into their decisions, into their parenting, into their lives. And unless you're invited, a consultant doesn't insinuate themselves. This takes a lot of discipline, especially for parents who like to manage their children all the way to the end of their lives. It's harder for mothers. Mothers especially have a hard time. This is where all the mothers-in-law jokes come from because mothers-in-law just can't resist uh, sticking their nose in. So uh, if, you, if you'll keep those boundaries in mind and keep them in place, what Beth and I are discovering right now is the richness mm -hmm. of our sons and their families uh, that continue to be an integral part of our lives. As it turns out, the fear that you have that if I, if I open my hands and let my children go and allow them to have their independence and to be their own person and to honor that, if you're, if you're careful about that, what you'll discover is that even though you've let them go, you never lose them. They'll always come back to you. People who hang on to their children and when it's time to let them go, they're hesitant to let them go uh, and they, they just never turn loose of the emotional ties and those, you know, those apron strings. These are people whose relationship with their adult children becomes strained because the adult children realize they can't trust you in meaningful ways uh, to tr be treated as an adult. And so these are very challenging aspects. Uh, all of these warnings don't come when you have your first new baby. <laughs> they, you, you just think, oh, we have a new baby, isn't that? It's the most beautiful thing in the world, and it is. But listen, you don't have a clue about what you're doing, and you don't know the, you don't know the consequences long-term. It's a lifelong deal. Once you're a parent, you're always a parent, but your roles have to change in an honorable way to allow your children to become everything God wants them to be. Okay. We, we're out of time pretty close, so oh, maybe we? there's one more. Um, I'll do this one really quick. It says, how important is um, grace in a marriage? And I said, grace to forgive and grace to be forgiven. So then the last one, number seven, after 42 years of marriage, what do you most look forward to? And I said, enjoying the blessings and the fruits of our labor in ministry, our spiritual children, our own children, grandchildren, and hopefully someday great-grandchildren, and to see them follow Christ. There is no greater blessing. Yeah, it's the, it's the reward of a, of, a, of a life that has been blessed, uh, a life submitted to, consecrated to Christ, 
Beth and I both came to faith when we were in our teenage years. We've not only grown up together physically, emotionally, relationally, but also spiritually, and we've decided to follow Jesus. And our lives are a reflection of the richness, the depth, the wonder, the mystery, the beauty, the blessing. Blessing of God. Of God. That's, it. That's all I have to say about that. That's all we have to say about that. So here's our advice. Follow Jesus. That's right. Knowing Jesus matters. Mm -hmm. Follow him. Life's not easy. We could tell we we could spend hours <laughs> telling you about all the mistakes, all the challenges, all the trials, all the difficulties. We have them just like you do. But we've discovered that God is good. We've tasted to see that God is good and how blessed people are who place their trust in him. I wanted to say one more thing. Go ahead. And it's Proverbs uh, 20 verse 6 and it says a faithful man who can find and I found that faithful man in Greg you're so nice well and I said earlier that Beth is the best thing that ever happened to me I joke about this although it's it's true I help Beth, Beth make decisions <laughs> I go through the world and I have I tend to be able to see a big picture you know I get perspective in a kind of a big way that's why God uses me as a visionary I can I can predict the future. You know, I can see things happen out there. And so I, I help her sort big picture moments to make, help her make decisions about life. The benefit I get from Beth is that she is so real and so warm and so gracious and so wonderful that she actually models for me and teaches me what it means to be a human being. And when you see those things in combination, obviously I'm the big winner because, you know, seeing the future, being a visionary, being a leader out front like that, you know, that's, that has its place and its role. But a genuine, authentic, spirit-filled human being is the most wonderful thing in the world. And I'm married to one. So Thanks. I guess we got it good. Well, everyone, could I just uh, ask you to follow Jesus? Submit your life to him. Let's pause and pray just for a moment. Maybe something you've heard today has sparked your interest in a meaningful faith. You'd like to introduce Jesus into your own heart, perhaps into your marriage, your family, in a new and fresh way. So just pray this prayer after me out loud. Gracious God. Gracious God. Thank you for loving me, being so good to me. I need you in my life. I want to know you, follow you, serve you. Forgive me of my sins, cleanse my life, come into my life. I want to know you and follow you. Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my family into my marriage, as a parent, as a leader in my home. I wanna, I wanna be the father you've called me to be, the mother 
that leads well. And that people will say, she is blessed. He is blessed. They are blessed. I want that blessing too. And I know that comes from you. So God, take our lives, mold them and shape them, and help us to live honorably, lifting up the name of Jesus and finding the peace and the blessing that follows. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You One take wonders. You <laughs>